Everyone, welcome to church. That got strangely awkward in like 10 seconds, didn't it? Well, anyways, we're going to have fun together. Together, Welcome to church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great privilege to welcome you to worship today. If this is one of your first times joining us, uh, you can let us know that you're here. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can uh, do that by sit, filling out one of those communication cards that you can find uh, on the seat back in front of you. And uh, if you have some free time afterwards, come see us at the Welcome Center. We have a free gift just for joining us uh, this morning. For those of you joining us online, you can go to our website at vlchurch.com and click on the banner that says, Are You New Here? Fill out that form, and that'll come straight to me, and I will connect with you sometime uh, this week. Well, I do want to make mention of something really hugely important this morning, and that is that it's Father's Day. So Dad's happy Father's Day. And, you know, I have to tell you, as, as pastors and leaders here at Victory Life Church, we tried to come up with something that would really honor our fathers uh, this morning. And so what we did was we decided to shave down our beards and goatees, thank you, Pastor Matt, down to what this is referred to as a dad stash, okay? A dad stash, just for you. You can see the picture there on the screen of Pastor Matt with his Magnum P.I. dad stash. I have the Geraldo Rivera look going on there. AJ has the Hawk Hogan look going on. And Pastor Peter was willing to shave down his ZZ Top beard just for you. But indeed, uh, thank you, thank you, uh, dads, for being amazing. We did these dad stashes just for you, and trust me, we did not win any points with our wives by doing this, so uh, I hope that you feel honored. But seriously, if you are a dad, a granddad, or a surrogate dad, we want to honor you, and we'd like to ask you to stand this morning. If you are a dad, a granddad, or some type of surrogate dad, can you stand? Can we give them an ovation this morning? Thank you so much, Dad. You may be seated. Thank you for serving your families. Thank you for leading your families. And thank you for exhibiting the qualities that are outlined in Scripture that tell us to lay down our lives for our wives and children. And you do just that. And it's amazing. And so I think my dad is watching today. And so, Dad, happy Father's Day. Thank you for putting up with me all these years indeed. And, Dads, we do have a gift for you as you leave today. We have some beef jerky with uh, the dad stash on it, in fact. <laughs> it looks like uh, Charlie Chaplin, but uh, nonetheless, they have very cheesy uh, dad jokes. Like, for example, uh, this one says, what do you call a cow with no legs? Ground beef. <laughs> yeah, you knew it up here. This one says, I have a joke about pizza, but it's too cheesy. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for humoring me this morning. About three of you laughed at that joke. Um, so we're going to move on in our announcements. But nonetheless, happy Father's Day, dads, and uh, please pick up your beef jerky on your way out this morning. I have a few announcements uh, for you today, the first of which I believe is our Bible and barbecue reminder. We have uh, barbecues uh, on a monthly basis. Uh, some folks are willing to host them in their homes. We have our men's group that hosts their first one 
in our pavilion uh, this next Wednesday. And so if you're a, a man, if you're a dude looking to hang out with some other dudes, come this Wednesday. Tom Hall is really looking forward to uh, leading a men's group and having some, uh, some good meats and hot dogs and hamburgers and all kinds of things. And so uh, uh, you can find all that information out online by clicking on the Bible and barbecue slide that you see on the screen there. And all of the related details uh, will, be, will be found uh, in that place. One more announcement for you this morning, um, and it has to do with a, a reminder indeed. Uh, we are having graduation Sunday, uh, next Sunday, June 25th. And so if you are a high school student, a college student, or a graduate student, or a professional school student who is gra- graduating who, or who has graduated in the last uh, couple of weeks or a couple of months, please let us know. We'd like to honor you uh, next Sunday and uh, pray for you and encourage you as you transition into this new chapter of your life um, uh, this next Sunday, uh, June 25th. If you'd like to let us know that you have just recently graduated, just call the church office and we'll make sure that you are signed up and uh, so that we can honor you uh, next Sunday, June 25th. Well, that's all I have this morning in the way of announcements. If you've come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. You can, you can uh, do that online. Uh, you can also do that via text, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings today. I can I ask you to stand this morning, and as you do so, let's bow for a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for being a good dad to us. You are a father who will never stop loving us no matter how far we get removed from you. And so we have come this morning to honor you, to give you glory, because you first loved us before we ever considered loving you back. And so we thank you, Father God, because we know that, as James says, every good and perfect thing in this world comes from our Father in heaven. This is one reason among so many others that we've come to worship you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. Oceans of kindness, wave after wave, mercy arriving again and again. Your love will find us. You're never far away. Battles behind us. Battles behind us. Battles ahead. God, you are for us. So what stands against? When you have this promise, you're never far away. We see your faithfulness in the darkest night. We see your goodness, God, your favor on us. Everywhere we go, your grace is on our side. Your grace is on our side. Battles behind us, battles ahead. God, you are for us. What stands against? have this promise, you're never far away. 
shows up and so no matter what the battle is no matter what we're facing we praise because we know when we do the Lord shows up when you're on the mountain when you're in the valley no matter what when you praise the Lord shows up what's that look like today that looks like the Holy Spirit I know that because Jesus said it himself he said if I leave you and if you obey my commandments, I will pray that the Father send you the helper, the comforter. And that's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit enters the room, when we pray for his presence, when he inhabits the praises of his people, he begins to change you. He begins to heal you. He begins to mend you and give you peace. He gives you exactly what you need right here, right now. So every Sunday, that's exactly what we come to do. Praise him for his presence and for what he's done, but for his presence. We pray that as a staff and as a worship team every Sunday that the Holy Spirit would fall upon this place so that you can meet with your creator and that he can do something in here. Isn't that why you came after all? Don't you want to meet with him? Don't you want to be changed by him? This is not an admonishment this morning. This is an encouragement when we ask for the Holy Spirit's presence together, he will show up in this place and he will begin to do the things that we've discussed and that we've talked about this morning. His grace will be here. Glory to glory, we're being changed. Battles to blessings. What we've sang about, when that presence of the Lord shows up, those things will come into fullness. So you have an opportunity to join with the worship team who prayed over you this morning and the staff who's prayed over you this morning and the elders who prayed over you this morning and the prayer teams that have prayed over you to join in and ask for the Holy Spirit to be in this room and to make himself known to you. So let's do that this morning. Let's worship.
Lord Jesus, the Bible teaches us that you purchased a great gift for us on the cross. And we often focus on the salvation, the covering of our sins. But in that salvation and covering of our sins, you gave us something that you had wanted to give humanity since the dawn of time. Just as you walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. You want to walk and talk with us. The Lord Jesus released the presence of the Holy Spirit into the life of every believer. You called him our comforter and you called him our help. You called him our power and you called him our teacher. You called him the very same as yourself. A real and tangible reminder of just how much you love us and care and just how much you redeemed us. So Holy Spirit, as a church today, we say you are welcome in this place. Be the teacher that the Lord Jesus told us you were going to be. Be the comfort that the Lord Jesus told us that you were going to be. For those feeling powerless today, be the power that the Lord Jesus told us that you were going to be. For we serve a God in three persons, a blessed trinity that has made us, redeemed us, and called us out of darkness into marvelous light. And today we say we are your people. Humble our hearts before you today and lead us as only you can, both in the worship and in the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, welcome once more to Victory Life Church this morning. I'm Pastor Matt, and it is my great privilege to get to share the Word of God with you this morning. But before I do, 
We can release the children to young disciples. Young disciples, so long, farewell. Auf Wiedersehen. Adieu. To you and you and you. You're welcome for the Sound of Music reference. We've been in the book of Romans for the last three weeks here as a church. We're going to be in chapter 1. This is our last week in chapter 1 today. And we have been looking at the story of the good, good news, the story of the gospel as Paul relays it, so that we can not only look at the theology and the doctrine of the good news of Jesus Christ, but do something once more with it. And that is to make sure that if we love it, and we see it for all that it is, we can share it with others. And we're going to talk about how to share the gospel from wrath today. Are you ready for this? I needed a mustache to preach wrath. Wrath, right? Now, that's an interesting concept, the idea that God's upset and that God has allowed sin because of human free will to have reign in this world, not forever. For on the cross, Jesus did something about the reign of sin forever, but to kind of tell us exactly where we are and exactly what we face. It's an important, important topic. And it's part of the good, good news because today we're going to see what we're saved from and why we need to be saved. Now, what Paul's going to talk about in verses 18 and following this morning is that humanity bought into some pretty faulty ideas. How many of you know that ideas have power? If you espouse the wrong ideas, you can certainly go in the wrong direction. For instance, this past week at the staff visioning retreat, we were joking about those dad jokes and the mustache that was on the sticker that you're going to get when you get that beef stick when you leave today. And we said, wouldn't it be funny to have dad stashes for Father's Day? And then we did it. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Now look at me. Was it a good idea? My daughter said I look like an Italian chef. As I got out of the car this morning, my wife would not look at me during Euchre last night, would not look at me. And when we turned off the lights last night and I tried to kiss her before we went to sleep, she said, no, I know it's there. (laughs) Espousing the wrong ideas can have terrible, terrible consequences. And at about 12.58 today... This bad idea is saying so long. Well, what we're going to talk about today as we talk about the wrath of God and how we can actually talk about the gospel and the good news from it is we're going to talk about three faulty ideas that we've embraced. All right, we'll talk about some three bad ideas that humanity has embraced. And then we're going to talk about three release points, what God's released us into because we've chosen to espouse those ideas And then what we're going to land on is three principles of the gospel, what we do with that. So we want to be really practical today as we look at some very, very hard material within the scriptures. So what I'd like to do today is I'd like to back up to Romans chapter uh, 1, verse 16, and see the good news before we get into the bad news, right? Give me the good news before the bad news. All right, we're going to see that salvation has been purchased through Christ, that God's in the business of saving people. But then we're going to see why the world is so broken, why the world is so fallen, We're going to see those ideas, we're going to see those release points, and then we're going to talk about how we can even use this passage of Scripture that normally we may shy away from. We could even use this passage of Scripture to lead people one step closer to Jesus, because after all, our vision as a church is to point people to Jesus who can rewrite every life story. So let's back up to chapter 1, verse 16, and let's see how we can share the gospel 
by talking about the wrath of God. Here we go, verse 16. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it, in, the, in it, a righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So that's the good news that we talked about last week, the good, good news. Now let's talk about why we need saved, verse 18 and following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore... God gave them up, that's the first release point, to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They're full of envy and murder and strife, deceit and maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent and haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserves to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Wah, wah. Not the happiest passage in all of the scripture, right? Right? Look at the mustache and smile, okay? Not the happiest passage in all of scripture, okay? That, that really speaks to the brokenness of humanity, does it not? In, in massive form, and that's what Paul's doing, and I, and I want to kind of place this within its context In Romans, we are going to talk about the great salvation with which God has saved us. But we're going to necessarily need to actually look at the great brokenness that the world is currently operating in to see how great that salvation is. And and just to give you a hint as where we're going today and how we're going to try to redeem this, this concept of wrath and brokenness is that there is a point of resonance in most humans that the world is broken. Christian or non-Christian, Hindu or Muslim, wherever people are coming from in this world, most people agree that the world is broken. They've seen enough of the world to know things aren't right. 
They've been sinned against enough to know things aren't right. They, if they're really being honest, would acknowledge their sin to the point that they would say, yes, things aren't right. And this presents for us an incredible opportunity for the good news. As long as we have the scripture on our side, know who our Lord is. You'll hear oftentimes people who are acknowledging that the world is not right, they'll use a term like, well, we as humanity just need to progress. If we will just have some progress as humanity, we will get past all the brokenness of the world. To which I would ask the question, well, what are you progressing towards? I mean, the Nazis thought they were making progress. What is it that is the standard? What is the gold? What is the prize? What is the treasure that we're trying to progress towards as humanity? If we're not agreed on that, I can't imagine that we can make any progress. You'll hear people say, well, the problem with humanity is easily solved. We just need to educate ourselves. With what? What is it that's going to solve the problems of humanity with which we can be educated? People will say things like, well, we just need to unify. Around what principles? What would you like me to unify around? What seems best to you for me to unify around? Is that what I'm to unify around? And why? See, we have these ideas that humanity is progressing, but I'm not so certain. I'm not, I'm not so sure that we're progressing. I'm not so sure that we're going anywhere great. The Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, not so sure that we're progressing In fact, he's making the argument here that we're regressing. And he's saying the regression starts in some of the key ideas we have about the reason that there's anything at all and the reason that we're here at all. Paul says that we have been created by a God who we got some wrong ideas regarding. And because we got those wrong ideas about God and began to espouse those ideas and began to run in that direction, God has released us into what those ideas reflect in in everyday life. He said, all right, if you're going to go ahead and you're going to be a party to those ideas, I release you into them and the things that they bring. In essence, if you really, really want that freedom that you've demanded, here, have that painful and terrible freedom. So when Paul says the wrath of God is released, he's not saying will be. He's not saying that judgment is yet to come. What is Paul saying? It's already here. You live enough of life and you experience the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed. It's already here. If you live life long enough, you'll be sinned against enough and you'll sin against others enough to know that this world is broken and God has released us to this terrible freedom that we've demanded. It's already a done deal. So how do we get here? Let's look back in the scriptures this morning and say exactly how we got here. Paul says this wrath of God has been revealed in light of the fact that we should know God, can know God, can see from nature who God is and his awesomeness, and we've chosen to ignore it. Look at verse 20. For uh, Let's back up to verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to us humans. His eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. God created this world for us to stand back and go, wow, God is powerful. Wow, God is awesome. If he created all of this, what should be my response? Look at verse 21. Here's the first problematic idea. For although they knew God, meaning through nature God is clearly perceived, they became futile in their thinking. They didn't honor him as God 
or give thanks to him. In essence, we look at this beautiful creation, we look at this amazing world in which we live, and the first thing we do is say, what a happy accident. What what an incredible accident this all is. Boy, the universe is powerful, right? We don't honor God. We don't say, I want to know who created all of this and who created me. We, We run the other direction. Nor do we thank him for the creation. I woke up this morning and the sun came in the east window of my bedroom to wake me up and some baby birds were chirping outside my window. And I could have had one or two of two responses to that. I could have said to myself, I hate that sun. I want to sleep for another hour and those birds are obnoxious. Right? Or I can go, thank God that the sun rose this morning. And the beautiful nature of creation. And those baby birds are so cute. Patching out their blue eggs. Right? Paul says that the initial issue with humanity is we look at this creation and we don't think it's worthy of praising God for. The initial issue of humanity is that we have all the good things in life. The beauty of creation. The, 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 the thirst-quenching ability of water. And we're not thankful for it. In essence, the first terrible idea, the one that gets us in all the trouble that we're in today, is that God ain't all that worthy. He's not all that worthy of my praise. There's not, there's not enough for me to, or there's not enough for me to see that, that would make me want to honor him or praise him. I'm going to focus on the hardships and the bad stuff and think that God's holding out on me. I'm not going to give him thanks because those birds woke me up. It's, it's a mindset issue, isn't it? That we don't give God thanks. We don't want to honor him or worship him. We begin to say to ourselves, ah, he ain't all that worthy. Paul says that's not our only problem. Look at verse 22. He says the second bad idea is that claiming to be wise, we become fools. All of a sudden, we begin to believe that the human mind is the most superior mind in all the universe. That the human mind and human accomplishments and what humans can do and what humans can discover is ultimately what life is all about. Instead of thinking that we need to pursue the wisdom of God, all we think about is pursuing the wisdom of man. We begin as a, as a species to celebrate the human body and human accomplishments and human discoveries. We decide to, to, to love and esteem human research and human art and human creativity and human construction. See the Tower of Babel. But, but let's be certain as we celebrate all of this human mind accomplishment that as we discover and uncover each one of those Easter eggs that we forget that God placed them there in the first place. We assume that we placed all the Easter eggs out there as humanity only for us to go ahead and discover them. So when we discover penicillin, we don't say, thank you, God, for penicillin. We say, oh, the brilliance of the human mind in finding antibiotics. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And the real exchange that takes place is that God works for me. And that's the exchange of idolatry. Look at verse 23. And they exchanged the glory of a mortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. That that instead of, of looking at this creation and going, wow, what a brilliant mind behind this, we start to make the creation itself God. 
And we start with humanity. What does Paul say? We begin to make little images of our God, and God looks like one of us. God looks like a human body or a tree or, or a mix between a fish and a person. Or, 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 or it's not a Little Mermaid reference. Or, 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 or a mix between a, a cow and a person. Or, or, or God with a lightning bolt, but he's a human. What are we doing? Why did God say don't make any graven images? Why did God say don't make any idols? He was making it very clear. Do not equate me with my creation. That'd be stupid. I created it all. So don't act like the creation is worshipable. Did you hear that, Keith, though? Worshipable. Worshipability in honor of your mom today. Right? The creation isn't worshipable. God is worshipable. But what did we do when we said, God works for me? We said, I'm going to make this little idol, and if I give this little idol all the right inputs, God will give me exactly what I need. God it just becomes a prayer genie. God is not the creator of the universe, worthy of honor and thanks. I've tamed the deity, don't you know? And if I give that deity all the right inputs, I'll get all the right outputs. Isn't that swell? These were the bad ideas that Paul says we have espoused as human beings. And so God says, if you're going to espouse those zany ideas, I must release you into the freedom that you've asked for. And those are the three release points that Paul talks about. There's a release point in verse 24. There's a release point in verse 26. And then there's the great big release point in verse 28. In verse 24, Paul says, So God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26 says, God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. And in verse 28, the the big one here, he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. So God releases us into lust. Now there is nobody on earth that thinks lust is a good thing. Because lust is the attitude that I will go satiate my need by any means possible. Most of the atrocities of the world have been done in a spirit of lust. I'll satiate whatever impure need is in my heart, and I'm not going to see myself or my existence in partnership with my creator, but instead I will satiate my lust in any way that I see fit. Now, you might feel like Paul has a hyper-focus on sensuality here because as he talks about these dishonorable passions and these lusts to impurity, look at verse 25. He says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. And so what Paul's really getting at is that the initial stage of lusting within the human heart is the misuse of human sexuality, not seeing it as a gift in contract with God, but a lust to be satiated. Paul's getting back to the created order, by the way. We've heard nothing of the cross. We've heard nothing of the sacrificial system. We've heard nothing of the temple, nothing of the tabernacle. We've heard nothing of the deep theology of Judeo-Christian religion right now. We're just getting back to the very nature of the human heart and creation itself and the way it all began and the way it all went wrong. But, but, But lust was not the purpose of sexuality. Sexuality was a contract with a God who had created us with a purpose. One of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture is the creation of human beings. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and following, it says this, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. 
Male and female he created them, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And then he goes on to talk about all the dominion that we're supposed to have with God. We're supposed to rule and reign with God, and therefore he gives us the gift of procreation in order to rule and reign and subdue the earth. Hey, human beings, I've made you like me. You can think and you can reason and you have a free will, and you get the opportunity to rule and reign this earth that I created for you. Go ahead and engage in the act that will procreate and bring a a lot of of people onto the earth so that you can rule and reign with me in this beautiful thing that I've created for you. See, sexuality, the human body, was created as a gift from God. But the minute that we say, you ain't all that worthy, and this thing is the superior thing in the universe, and I'm going to tame you and have you work for me. When we espouse those ideas, all of a sudden the natural outflow of that is the misuse of the gift of sexuality. And that's why Paul starts there in these first two releases when he says he releases us into lust and he releases us into dishonorable passion. Paul's saying this misuse of sexuality is part and parcel of the fact that you completely missed what I put you on this earth to do. When you forgot to honor me, when you forgot to thank me, when you began to think that the human mind was the center of the universe and that ultimately I worked for you and you don't work for me. God tells us why he gave us sex. So that we can procreate and fill the earth and subdue it. And thank God he didn't make that a horrible task. He made it a pleasurable task. But that's, that's who God is. It was made in contract with him. And so when we begin to worship the created thing, when we, 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 when we begin to worship the human body of the opposite sex, or the same sex as it is, it is talked about here, or we begin to, to use our sexuality and our sensuality in a way that is only to satiate our lust, it's just proof positive that we have missed the boat. And that's why Paul starts there. That's why he goes there and talks about this dishonorable passions and these lusts of sensuality we begin to worship sex and sexuality rather than the Lord. That's a high point or a highlight of idolatry. And we can look at that from the ancient world to the, to the present, that sex and sexuality becomes the number one idol in the lives of human beings. And there's, there's plenty more. And we're in the same boat that the ancients were in. Let's just not look back in history and go, oh, they really messed it up. We have our idols today. We just cut out the middleman. Most of us have. I mean, some of us have some images in our home that we kind of worship and kind of adore, but most of us don't have the household idol that we bow down in front of and burn incense to and throw some grain at. We don't need any of that anymore, but we worship the same things. We worship the human body. We worship sexuality. We worship our IPAs and our Cabernets in the same way they worship their strong drink, as the Bible likes to call it. We have lots of things that we worship that are created things that have nothing to do with God. And that's what the ancients did, and that's what we do today. We worship our money, we worship our things, we worship our experiences. As the ancients did, we've just cut out the middleman of the household idol. Maybe we've even regressed further from God because we don't even consider honoring God. I mean, at least they consider trying to honor God through idol worship. We don't even consider such things oftentimes in the world today. 
So as Paul is moving down this regression of human history, he takes us to the final regression, the final release. The first one was to lust. The second one was to dishonorable passions. And the third is the release to the God of me. The release to the God of me. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Paul says in verse 28, And since we did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. Now, I don't want to get into the Greek today. Let's just stay right in the English. What does debased mean? You lack a base. You lack a foundation. You lack completely a way to operate that has any type of stability. Because the greatest stability is the darkened human mind. And so this massive list that Paul gets into, Paul likes lists. You know what? One day we will go one by one through the lists of Paul. And we'll go each character trait, positive and negative, one by one. I will preach on each one of them for 45 minutes. The church will dwindle to three people, but we will have preached the word of God. Right? No, but but this list is kind of attempting to show us just what a debased mind leads to, and that's the God of me. All of these things are about selfishness. They're about me. They're about I'm the one who determines what is good and right and the rest of the world can't tell me what is good and right. When Paul says they espouse evil and then he goes straight to covetousness, he he talks about the human nature being I want, I want, I want. Me, 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 now, now, now. Thank you, Dustin Hoffman Hook. It's a good movie. They didn't see to acknowledge God. Instead, they began to covet and want things that they don't need. They just want. They don't see the, the creation as something to be partnered with with God and, and, and subdued with God and have dominion over with God. They see the creation as something to be exploited. He talks about malice. I hate, I hate, I hate. Envy. They don't deserve that. I deserve that. Murder. They don't deserve to live. I deserve to live. They talk about strife. Do you know that person that just can't help but be in an argument with somebody? Do you know the person filled with strife? They are just always in a fight with somebody. They can't live apart from their strife. Strife. Deceit, I'll lie to get in my way. Maliciousness, I'll cause somebody else harm because I feel harmed. Gossip, I'll talk about all people's bad stuff. Uh, Slander, I'll make people seem worse than they are so I can feel better about myself. Haters of God, God is the enemy. He's not my friend. Insolent, oh, there's authority? Let me see how I can get out from under that authority. No one can tell me what to do. Haughty, it's all about me. I'm the man. Boastful, can't you see that I'm the man? If you can't see that I'm the man, you should see that I'm the man. I'm better than you. I'm boastful. I'm awesome. And if you don't know it, I'll post about it on every platform. We're inventors of evil. I'll find ways to hurt myself or others that you've never thought of. Why should I respect my parents? They serve me. They have to serve me. They're foolish. They're ruthless. They're malicious. This list is a, is a, is a, is a monument to the God of me. To what happens when we lose our base that there's a God that we should be thankful to and we should be finding ways to honor him in spite of finding ways to honor ourselves. 
And Paul is saying here in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 18 and following, the time for honoring yourselves is at an end. Because this is the effect when we honor ourselves as human beings. And we are celebrating evil rather than celebrating the good. Now, you might think to yourself, well, Pastor Matt, you've said it rightly. The world stinks. Thank God I'm here in church where we smell like roses. But Paul will allow us no such succor. Because if you want to turn just into the next chapter, we'll be here next week. Paul tells us exactly what we're to do with the list he's just made. Look at chapter 2, verse 1, if you're still down in your Bibles. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, for every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment you condemn yourselves, because you who judge practice the very same things. So don't get haughty, church. Don't be, oh, that stinky world out there. Paul was writing to church people. Don't become judges with this. Just see the issues at hand. And if you see the issues at hand, we can do something redemptive with it. How do we redeem a list like this? We don't have to redeem it. Well, how do we use this? In what ways could we share with a lost and a broken and a dying world what we might do to overcome the brokenness of the world. Well, I would say this to begin with. Perhaps instead of judging the world as Christians, on some level we should resonate with the world. Because if you give lost and dying people enough time, they will surface to you that they know the world is broken too. Do you realize what a glorious pathway that is for the good news of Jesus Christ when people in this world recognize just how broken the world is? They might not have the same solutions that you do to the brokenness. In fact, they almost certainly will not. They they might not have the same idea of why the world got broken in the first place, but where you can agree with a lost and a dying world is that, yeah, this thing is broken, But if you come off as this haughty, proud Christian, (laughs) yes, it is, because you've rebelled against God, you moron. If you come across that way, as Christians have down through the centuries, we're missing it completely. What about if someone were to tell you for a moment the effect that their sin has had on their life and how bad it's wrecked it, that you just start with, I am so sorry to hear that. I, I know I I get it. I've made mistakes. I did stuff that that wrecked portions of my life too. It stinks, doesn't it? I'm so sorry. Rather than, well, they should know better because back in the 50s, people read the Bible and they don't today. How about we resonate with the lost and dying world for just a minute that we understand that the world is broken too. As I mentioned, we might not be certain or we might not be together on the causes, and we might not be together on the solutions yet, but resonating is a powerful tool in the hands of a believer because everybody knows that something ain't right. Yes, that is broken. That is broken. And then you have the opportunity to elevate. Not to stay down here on the human plane using human words and human solutions. And I want to make it abundantly clear, I'm not trying to mock any movement or any person today. 
But those buzzwords that I used earlier, like educate or, or, or unify or, 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 or I used another one. I don't even remember what it was because I don't, I, don't, I don't use these terms except as they relate to the church. What we can do is take people to a picture of what ought to be that's in the scriptures. We elevate their thinking. When somebody's in relational strife, you can say something very simple like, you know what, the world's lost sight of what's really important in relationships, and that's forgiveness. You know, Jesus' disciples came to him, and they said, how many times should I forgive? Seven? Is that a good number? And Jesus said 70 times seven. Jesus told people there is no excuse in the world not to forgive. Do you realize that, that by reading this word, as we talked about last week, and reading through the New Testament, we'll be reminded of the principles by which we can elevate the thinking of a lost and a dying world? I read, a, I read a story this week on, we have lost civil discourse. You know, civil discourse where we can disagree but not call the other one a hater and a horrible person and a complete and utter jerk. Could you not take somebody to this list and then say, you know what, when we see the brokenness of the world, do you know what God tells us to do? Don't judge. Wasn't it Jesus who said what? Before you talk about the speck in your brother's eye, you should take the plank out in your own? Do you see, for every problem that people surface, the Lord has the solution because he's the base. He's the one that put the idea of right behavior in the heart of human, humans. We have just retreated from it. We've regressed from it. We're not progressing. We can peel back the layers of the onion. As much as we want, we'll still find a sinful human in the middle. That's why Jesus said, repent. Repent means to turn. Human beings have been following these ideas and these release points for thousands of years headed in this direction. But what if we just turned around and said, I'm going to elevate my eyes and look to God and say, you know what, what might happen if I seek to honor you rather than to honor myself? What if you truly become God and you're not just my prayer genie? What if I actually look to your word for who you say you are and who you say I am and what I ought to be doing as opposed to using your word merely as a cudgel to get my way? What if I truly repented? See, the pictures of Scripture and the pictures of what God wants us to do are beautiful and powerful and resonating within the human spirit so long as we'll speak them. So resonate with the world's brokenness, but you can elevate people's thinking just by using the Word of God. I love reading psychology.com. It's, it's, it's fabulous because psychologists continue over and over and over again to discover things the Bible said 3,000 years ago. It's incredible. You'll read an article and you'll be like, yes, the base and the foundation is in the created order. It's in how God made it. We know it. We found that Easter egg because God placed it out there, except the Easter egg got hid by our own volition. We found the Easter egg. We saw that it was from God, and we kicked it back into the bush, discovered it 2,000 years later, and went, look what we found. It was from God in the first place. Their foolish hearts became darkened. Their foolish hearts became dark and they thought they were wise. They became fools because they would not seek the creator. They worshiped the created thing. So we can elevate the thinking of people. Ultimately, because God wants us all to be rebased. To set our feet on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. 
to, to be able to say there is a basis and there is a standard and there is a way to live and there is a truth and there is a life. And if I'll step out of the quicksand, I can put myself on the basis for which I was created. And that was to serve God. Because ultimately, what is broken will be fixed. And the ruling and the reigning that God gave Adam and Eve, our first parents, to do is going to be remade. And for eternity, I will rule and reign with God. And I will get to experience humanity as God has wanted me to experience it in full partnership with my loving and awesome creator. In 1864, a beautiful hymn was written, one that rebased me this week, and one in which I believe we can rebase others. The hymnist wrote, For the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love which from our birth over and around us lies Christ our Lord. To you we praise, we raise this, our hymn of grateful praise. For the wonder of each hour, of the day and of the night, hill and vale, tree and flower, sun and moon and stars of light, Christ our Lord, to you we raise this, our hymn of grateful praise. For the joy of human love, not human worship, but for the joy of human love, brother, sister, parent, child, friends on earth and friends above, for all gentle thoughts and mild, Christ our Lord, to you we raise this, our hymn of grateful praise. For yourself, best gift divine, to the world so freely given, agent of God's grand design, peace on earth and joy in heaven. Christ our Lord, to you we raise this, our hymn of grateful praise. Brothers and sisters, we were put on this earth as the crowning jewel of God's creation made in his image. Brothers and sisters, we were put on this earth to serve him with our all and to see him as the one to both honor and give thanks to. This is the cry and call of the human heart. We will worship something if we don't worship him. So why don't we worship him? Why don't we realign our hearts with who God is? And why don't we tell the world that they can rebase right along with us as we do what our first parents ought have done, which is to honor and to thank the creator for the creation. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word is so good. Thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself from the beauty of the earth and the glory of the skies, but thank you for revealing yourself in our Lord Jesus Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, made himself nothing, took on the form of a human. 
and gave himself for us. Thank you for revealing yourself in Christ. Thank you for revealing yourself in your word. Thank you for telling us how to rebase our lives on the one who gave it. Oh, Lord, may we as your church never look at the world in judgment. Ours is not to judge. May we look at a lost and a dying world desire to see them rebased around you. Lord, may we resonate with our broken fellow men and women. May we elevate their eyes unto Jesus. And may we invite them to rebase their life on the solid rock that we have found. For what was broken has been remade. What was lost has been found. What was blind now sees. What was dead is now alive. Help us to see you rightly and convey you rightly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Would you stand? You are going to have an opportunity to resonate with the brokenness of the world this week, I promise you. Someone is going to tell you something negative about their life. Point them to the Lord. Point them to the scriptures. Point them to God. Elevate their thinking and give them an opportunity to rebase. It's going to happen. Step in. God bless you.